Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 379 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about a training session that I had recently where I wasted a coach's time. It's not clickbait. I think it's an important lesson and just kind of something to ponder. It's not always the same situation for everybody, but a story that I wanted to share so that you can optimize your coaching and optimize your hard-earned dollars that you put into your training sessions with your coaches. Really quickly before we get to that, it is almost out of time to join the early reader team for my new book. I'm publishing a book in May. And if you'd like to get an advanced digital copy of the entire book, go to EssentialTennis.com slash book. And you can see details there on the early reader team. My publisher only wants me to make this available for a a limited time. uh, And uh, we're getting pretty close now to crunch time in terms of like the book launch. And so I'm going to take this away soon. So if you're listening a couple weeks from when this gets published, it might not be available anymore. And instead, you'll probably just see a general information page about the book. All right, so let's jump into today's story. I've been working with a high-performance coach for the last couple months. It's been great. I've enjoyed it a lot. This is the second coach that I've worked with closely on my own game to push myself, to stretch my comfort zone, to learn new skills, and just generally become a better tennis player. And through that process, definitely become a better coach as well. And we did several training sessions leading up to a coaching trip that I had where I was gone for about two weeks between traveling and working with students on the court. And so I I didn't really have the opportunity to play or to train because I was just coaching the whole time. When I'm on the court teaching, nothing else gets done. (laughs) I can't, I can't make content. I can't play matches. I I can't train all my energy, all my time, you know, all my focus goes into actually working with the players. And, and so during that two week period, I didn't really hit any balls, you know, just kind of fed and hit hit with students, but it's just, it's not the same thing, totally different skill set. So right when I get got home from that coaching trip, I set up another training session. I wanted to go in and hit by myself before I worked with this coach again, but I didn't have the chance. So I basically was going in cold after over two weeks of not hitting, not playing, not training. And starting off, things were, were actually pretty good. We just did you know, the standard kind of warm-up, down-the-middle rallies. Timing actually felt surprisingly good considering the amount of time that I had just taken off. But then when we shifted to cross-court backhand rallies, all of a sudden, it was, uh, my comfort level just kind of disappeared. And my feel was totally gone. And I was just kind of searching for my timing, for the right position with my body, the different technical elements that I've been working on, improving on my backhand, my, my spacing, taking the racket back into a correct like coil position, which is kind of the core thing I've been working on for the last year and a half or so on my backhand. All of a sudden, everything felt foreign. And it was like... It felt like I was in a dark room and just kind of feeling around and trying trying to like feel my way through like a, a maze or something in the dark. And I felt I felt really lost and I, I just couldn't find it. So 
Mike stopped trying to rally with me cross court and instead just started hitting some feeds from the other side of the court. And I wasn't able to hit those either. <laughs> and he could tell I was struggling and, and I still wasn't able to just put the ball in play. Easy feeds. Like he eventually kind of walked up to the net, started feeding and I couldn't really find my, my timing or my, my comfort level from there either. So he ended up coming over onto my side of the court and doing some hand tosses while coaching me, instructing me, asking me to focus, you know, on different things. And 10 minutes later, it was fine. I found it again. It took a lot of really, really easy repetition for it to come back, but it, it was there. And, it, and, you know, in the moment, it was frustrating. I, I wasn't concerned that, like, it was gone and it disappeared forever. Like, I, I've experienced this many, many times. So I, I knew, you know, I knew all the work that I'd done. It, it was still there. But because of the break that I took and because I, I hadn't really had any repetition for the last couple of weeks, the the familiarity of that new backhand had, had kind of drifted away a little bit and, and I had to find it again. And it took those super easy, just kind of underhand toss feeds in order for it to, to come back. And eventually it did. And the rest of the training session was totally fine. But I couldn't help but really feel kind of guilty about that for, for multiple reasons. And so there's, there's kind of two points I want to make here, two big takeaways that I think are very relevant and very important for passionate, competitive adult players who are working on their game. First of all, I kind of alluded to this a little bit just a second ago, this happens and it's normal. Just please hear me on that. Early on, when I first started this journey of changing my, my backhand, I had no physical awareness of where my hand or my racket were with the, the new swing. My previous backhand, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but my previous backhand, I didn't have much of a load or a coil with my body. I, I kind of just turned to the side and it was a lot of hand and arm, uh, not, not much use of, of a dynamic coiling or turning with the, the torso or the shoulders is relatively weak, no topspin. It was just like a forward push of the, the racket, basically. So when I, I did start to coil, I struggled just feeling where my hand was in space. And I, I would think I'd taken my, my shoulders back to a certain point or my, my racket back to a certain point, and I'd watch the, the playback, and it just wasn't there. And it was like there was a black box back there, and I just I had no awareness of where my hand or my racket were because it was so different from what I was used to. I was changing a 20-year habit of doing it the old, crappy, weak, kind of pushy way. So when you make that big and that fundamental of a change, losing the feel for the new thing, even though you know I've done months and months of practice and I've done it hundreds of times really well, the new way, thousands of times probably, correctly, the new way. But that's still... I. It isn't anywhere close to the number of repetitions that I did the old way for 20 years, the bad, the bad habit. So losing the new feel or having it drift away you know, a little bit from time to time is going to happen. So the fact that this happened in general isn't bad. I didn't do anything wrong. And I, in the moment, I, I wasn't concerned about it. But I, I just want to pass that message on to you. Because if you're working on changing an old habit, or even developing a new one, please know that just because you've done it correctly a couple times doesn't mean that 
it's going to always be there forever and ever. It might drift away a little bit and you might have to work and make things really easy for a period of time before you find it again, which is what happened to me that day. And it's totally normal. So I, I just wanted to share the story for that reason, but it's not really the main reason why I wanted to share the story. That brings me to point number two. Was this the best use of Mike's time, the other coach? When we had to take 10 or 15 minutes out of our allotted time together for him to totally dumb things down, toss some balls underhand, and wait for me to find that feel and wait for me to find that new swing that I've been working on and training for well before he and I started working together, was that the best use of his time? Basically turning him into a ball machine there for 10 or 15 minutes. And was it the best use of my money? Was it the best use of those resources? Now, I know about myself and I know about that stroke that it is it has been a big change and it is a really high priority for my training. And I know it's not fully ingrained yet. And I still have work to do. And so heading into that coaching session and in full, you know, like transparency, honesty, honestly, in full honesty, I can say that it didn't occur to me. <laughs> going into this training session. In in hindsight, it's very obvious. Taking two weeks away from training, away from match play, away from practice, away from working with this coach, it's obvious to me in hindsight that, of course, you know, the I, there was no guarantee it was going to happen, but it's not surprising to me in hindsight that this very, you know, different and relatively new stroke would would take some very easy repetition to kind of find my feel for it and find my rhythm and my timing and my spacing and all that sort of thing. So if I was mindful of that ahead of time, could I have done some ball machine hits before Mike got there? Could I have shown up 10 minutes earlier, 15 minutes early and hit with the ball machine for a little bit? Absolutely. Could I have shown up a little bit early and just dropped the ball to myself? And just move through the motion, move through the, the new technique to build some familiarity there before it was showtime with Mike and he's on the clock and I'm, I'm paying him and he drives you know, pretty far out of his way just to come work with me. And was that the best use of his time and my money? No, I don't think so. Could I have just hit against the wall for 10 minutes? There's a wall right there on that court. Wouldn't have even had to go anywhere else. All I would have had to do is show up 10 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier, and I probably could have completely avoided wasting that time with him. Now, I know Mike doesn't care. He's like, he knows I'm trying the best I can. And it's not like I was, you know, it's not like I was just being a pain, you know, student or, or anything like that. And again, like I, I didn't have it in mind. Next time I absolutely will. But in hindsight, it was a mistake. And I wanted to share this with you. Now, is it the end of the world? No. Absolutely. It's okay. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not like I, f I feel terrible about it or anything like that. But I thought it was worth talking about because it's often, this type of thing happens over and over and over again to tennis coaches. And it's often part of a much bigger problem. And that much bigger problem is simply that students don't like to do homework. I know this from having spent a big chunk of my career in a traditional teaching pro setting. First of all, tennis coaches need to have some responsibility for giving homework, but oftentimes coaches don't even bother because they 
get a very distinct feel from their students that they're not going to come out with the ball machine. They're not going to find another member to rally with and train with. They're not going to do shadow swings. They're not going to do drop hit swings on their own. Tennis players love to play matches because that's fun. It's engaging and it's exciting. Tennis lessons are also are also fun. Like a good tennis coach is, is going to make it intriguing and interesting and maybe even entertaining and exciting and lot, lots of action. Like many tennis players take lessons just for those reasons, not even just because they want to get better. And if you're listening to this right now, that prob- that might shock you to hear me say that, but just trust me, it's absolutely true. It's it's 100% true. <laughs> a big chunk of tennis lessons that are given are more so for those those reasons. And it might kind of, on the surface, it's like, yeah, people are, are it's, I don't want to say like overtly, like wink, wink, you know, nudge, nudge, like, yeah, we're here to get better. But then the, no, neither the student or the coach actually try to do that. It, it's not quite, you know, that dramatic. But the reality is a huge percentage of lessons being given and taken, it's not to really push the student out of their comfort zone or to change habits or to do anything very different. It's just kind of to polish what's already there. And so we're not changing habits. We're not developing totally new ones. And you can get better at tennis, just to be really, you know, really clear. You can get better at tennis without changing habits by being a little bit more precise and repetitive and refined with the habits you already have. You're not going to make big, huge improvements, but you can improve without changing things fundamentally. Obviously, that's not what I'm interested in. And if you're listening to me, you're probably not interested in that either. But I wanted to just call out this general topic that students oftentimes don't take homework seriously or they're just not interested because it's not exciting enough. And that they tend to treat a tennis coach like some kind of magic genie where if I just show up on Tuesdays at, at 2 o'clock every week, then I'm, I'm going to keep getting better at tennis week after week, month after month, year after year, without doing any other work on the side. And the reality is, if you're taking one one-hour lesson per week and then playing a couple matches per week, you're probably not going to change any habits. You can get better at the habits you already have, but you're not going to make new ones because every time you go out there and play those matches, you're going to use what's reliable, what's familiar, what's comfortable, and you're just going to keep reinforcing those things. And again, you can polish those things a little bit in, in the lesson, but in match play, you're mostly just going to fall back on, on what's familiar and comfortable. It's up to you and the time that you invest to change habits and make new ones. That's not going to happen in matches, and it's not going to happen in one hour per week with a coach. So you need to take responsibility for that. And on this day with this particular coach, I needed to take responsibility for that. And I should have done some homework in those two weeks. And in particular, just that that day, or I could have shown up the day before, or I could have shown up 15 or 20 minutes earlier before our session started and taken responsibility for it. But it it honestly just didn't cross my mind. But in hindsight, it, I really should have done that. And it would have been a better use of our time for sure if I had found the new backhand, given myself a little bit of time to get comfortable before Mike got there, and then spend the rest of our time pushing forwards with new and better and higher level training instead of having to go back to work on very rudimentary stuff that I easily could have done myself. 
is this, you know, <laughs> the end of the world? Is this some, uh, you know, massively critical thing? Like, no, at the end of the day, Mike still got paid. But if you really value your time, if you really value your money that you're investing, if you really value the time of your coach, then this is hopefully something to think about and uh, something you'll spend a little bit of time pondering how you're using your time. And if, if you're using your time the, to the best of your ability to keep pushing forwards and help empower your coach to help you make those improvements. Hopefully that'll make sense. If you have any thoughts, you can always feel free to send me an email to Ian, that's I-A-N at EssentialTennis.com. I published a, a really quick kind of selfie video about this on my, my personal YouTube channel and got a pretty wide range of uh, reactions, actually. It was people kind of telling me I was blowing it out of proportion. Uh, I didn't scan through the comments right before I started recording this, but de- there's actually definitely some pushback, which I found a little bit surprising. I was just trying to hold myself accountable and and empower all of you to hold yourselves accountable too and make the best use of your time and, and your money and your coach's time. But if you, if you, if you have other thoughts about it, of course, always feel free to reach out and let me know. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you'd like an advanced digital copy of my new book, please go to essentialtennis.com slash book and sign up for the early reader team. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.